0: The subject matter is the one thing that matters. As we get into it, I'm sure you'll understand what I'm what I'm talking about. <clears throat> the center of something's important, especially if you think about the center of a wheel. If you you know the wheel only turns right, turns properly when the axle's in the center. If it's centered properly, and if it's not centered properly, if the axle's off center. You know what happens. It bounces around, there's a big mess, and if it faster it turns, it's more likely to come apart. You know, that, uh, that kind of thing. How would you like to drive cross-country a, in a car where the wheels were off-centered? I don't think I would want to do that. But we see the, we see the idea. And, and the, I want to take that as an illustration of the fact that that's also true about our lives. Uh, a life that is off-center is like a wheel that is off-center. If you fail to find the, the center f- for your life, then life can be a lot rougher than it needs to be. And I think we need to face this. We live in a world where a rational center for life seems to have been have been lost. Our, our culture just simply does not seem to know what is really important, although they focus on a lot of things that are important. I'll mention a few in just a moment here. But uh, our culture does not seem to have focused on have found the thing that is the most important in our lives, and I think we see that especially in our uh, world here in America, particularly, well, Western Europe is is going through the same kind of thing, where Christ, where the church, where Christianity is no longer the center of what needs to be, uh, what is important. In 1991, the May 24th issue of the Austin, Texas Chronicle, there was an article that had these, this story about it. It said that during a two-day period, just prior to the issue of the paper, a homeless man, a trained maintenance worker, and a dog were killed on subway tracks in New York City. You probably know where I'm going, don't you, with this. Ninety people telephoned the transit authority to express concern about the dog. Three people called with concern about the maintenance worker, and nobody called about the homeless man. Our priorities have become misplaced. We've made concern for animals or for the environment, for the economy and so forth, as the most important things in life. And I'm not suggesting that those things are unimportant. What I am suggesting is, of course, that they don't need to be the center of our lives. They don't need to be the kinds of things that determine who we are. They don't need to be the things that, are the, that become the focus of our lives and our lifestyle, the Apostle Paul, I think, made it very clear in his writings and, and what it means to uh, focus on a rational and reasonable center for life. And I want to read from Philippians chapter three, and I think in the uh, in the uh, Bulletin that says, down through 11, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. I'm just going to read down through uh, verse 9. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ <clears throat> and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. <clears throat> Paul uses a very strong word there when he says that he considers everything else rubbish. I've given up everything because I consider everything else in my life as rubbish. It's a very strong word in, in the Greek language from which we our, our New Testaments are translated It means smelly, stinky garbage. It was even used for manure. That's what he's saying. I consider everything else in my life to be like that compared to knowing Jesus Christ, compared to that knowledge of Jesus. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he changes the focus just a little bit where he says there, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live, in this flesh or in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul knew what was central. He knew what was important. He knew what was essential and irreplaceable in life. Knowing Christ determined the entire focus of his life and how he lived it. His life became, a, if you will, a crucified form of living, as he explains there in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. His, his life became a crucified form of living. That sounds like it's contradictory. But it, he, it became this kind of thing. In a very real sense, his life was crucified with Jesus. Everything else in the world was set aside if it hindered his relationship with God. Everything he came to understand about Jesus and the cross determined how he dealt with every aspect of his life. It also decided how he faced death and what he expected in the judgment. I think for many Christians today, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to limit that to those of us who are here in this body today, it, those who have a belief in Jesus Christ, for, for too many, and maybe I'm being a little too judgmental there, I don't know, but for many Christians today, the cross has no real meaning except in a, a kind of mystical sense. For many people, the cross just does not relate to real life. That's what I mean. It has a religious significance. It has to do with our, our, uh, whether we'll be saved, whether we'll get into heaven or not. But it doesn't have any real significance in life. Paul was saying quite the opposite to that, wasn't he? That the cross, knowing Jesus Christ, had everything to do with the way that he lived. I'm not following my outline very good here, so just excuse me while I catch up to where I was supposed to be here. All right. <clears throat> I think the Bible, God's Word, sees it a little bit differently. And Paul's inspired comments in our text, and then Philippians 3 there, is one of, just one of those places where a different viewpoint is, is very clearly expressed. And I want us to think a couple of ways in which this might help our our lives. Knowing Christ, knowing Jesus, knowing the significance of the cross, as, as Paul explained in Galatians, helps us to better understand what sin is. What is sin, really? What is sin? And what can we do about it? I read some time ago about the great Russian novelist, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and he learned a valuable lesson in the Soviet Gulag. Now, many of you young people maybe don't even know who uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was. And I'll just give you a brief view. Those who are my age and maybe just a little bit younger do know who we're talking about. He was born in Russia into a Cossack family of intellectuals. He was well-educated and he attained the rank of captain in the Soviet Army during World War II. And he wrote the Soviet Gulag. He wrote this book about his experiences there. And that's where he gained his fame. However, even after his his beginning here and in this family of intellectuals and served distinctively, distinctly, yeah, distinctively, uh, yeah, he did a good job serving in the, in the army in World War II. At the end of the war, in 1945, he was arrested and sentenced to eight years in one of those harsh Siberian labor camps because he had dared to write a letter that criticized Joseph Stalin, the Soviet dictator. Now, during this time, he learned a very fundamental truth about human nature. And that's one of the things that appears in that book. As he lay on that bed of straw in that prison camp, he reflected on what he had observed. A few few guards were good, others were evil. A few prisoners were good, while others were evil. And he gradually came to realize, and I quote, the line separating good and evil passes not through states nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through the human heart. He saw that evil was not a communist problem, it's not a capitalist problem, it's not a racial problem, it's not a social problem, it's something that is a human problem, and it was a problem that he shared. And he came to see his need for a Savior. Now, I don't know that much about Solzhenitsyn. I don't know whether he came to understand Jesus as we do. But even without the Bible, he grasped that, he grasped the universal human need for someone like the Christ, someone to take care of that problem that originated in the human heart. Sin is universal. It's in all nations, in all cultures, it's all races, it's, it's everywhere. And we need someone to save us from it. The real problem is the human heart. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus talks about this. Uh, as he has discussed uh, some things a, a, a little bit earlier, talked about people coming, asking some questions about some things, and he says this: He went on, comes and they, one of the questions was about being unclean, clean or unclean, and according to the law of Moses, he said, "What makes uh, what comes out of a man? What comes out of a human being is what makes him unclean." For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, injury, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. It wasn't what he ate, which was the question they were talking about. It wasn't what he ate that made him unclean, though there were things under the law of Moses that were unclean. But Jesus is saying the real problem here is in the human uh, is in the human heart. Uh, several years ago, Bill Copeland wrote in the Sarasota, Florida Journal, we used to hiss the villain, now we go out and buy his book. You ever notice that? Seems like the, sometimes those people that uh, are the, are the, made a royal mess of things, if they write a book about it, they sell better than something else. And we go out and buy it, but that's what he's talking about there. We've, we've kind of lost track of things, haven't we? Sin's no longer a problem to modern Americans. In fact, if you use the word sin to someone who's not a Christian out in the world, they may make fun of you for even believing that there is such a thing uh, called sin. We're told today that our difficulties come from our lack of self-esteem or they come from addictions or they come from failed government programs or something else. You just make your own list there. But surely our problems aren't the result of sin within us. We think, surely, it can't be me. And that's why I think our world has, our culture has a problem with sin. We all have a difficulty, and certainly unbelievers have, I believe, a much more difficult time understanding that we, as human beings, have a serious problem, and that's why the world has problems. We have it wrong. Sin is that which exists in opposition to the principles of a holy God. Sin is that deceptive something in the human heart which brings destruction and death to the body and to the human spirit. Sin is the enemy of every worthwhile thing in this universe. Sin is serious. It grabbed the attention of the God of the universe and caused the death of his son on the cross. And here's the problem with us as human beings. Sin make, I mean Satan makes sin appear exciting, even useful at times, rather than the poison that it is. Sin is serious business. Your sin, my sin. Sin is what caused the depressing headlines in today's newspaper and last night's uh, eleven o'clock news on TV. Sinful hearts are the source of all lies, murders, rapes, abuse, thefts, etc. Our so- our society needs a, a center powerful enough to bring about real change, to change human hearts so the headlines can be changed, at least for those who get the right center for their lives. More personally, you and I need it. Each one of us needs it. The Bible says that this center is knowing Christ and understanding the cross. Several years ago, I, I read a book that I found very, very interesting by Dr. Carl minninger the world-famous Menager Clinic. It was, it's a psychiatric clinic in, in Wichita, Kansas. And, and uh, several decades ago, it was much more famous than it is today. I don't even know whether it still exists there. But it became world-famous because of their, uh, the, the, the treatment that they gave to people. And he wrote this book, and he called it, Whatever Happened to Sin? And he lamented the fact that we've lost sight of what it means to sin. Now this was probably in the 70s or 80s when he wrote this. So it's been around a while. If anything, I think things are worse today. But he said, whatever happened to sin? And then he lamented the fact that we've lost sight of what it means to sin, even while it's obvious that evil is all around us and causes so much heartache and heartbreak in our world. Essentially, what happened is that sin took up residence in our hearts. And the world has forgotten that concept. And Dr. Menninger encouraged us to explore it again, although I don't believe he did it from a religious viewpoint. As far as I can determine, he was an agnostic. He was seeing it as a social construct. From a social standpoint, we need to view it this way in order to solve some of the things that, that uh, uh, have been happening in, 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 our, in our world. But, but the thought came to me, all right, Dr. Mininger, you've pointed out the problem very clearly, and you've shown the problems that that creates. What's the solution? If you don't have an authority other than the doctor sitting across the room from you and talking to you and giving you good advice, if you don't have an authority greater than that, you don't really have an authority. It's not my notes. I just threw that in for free. It, um, We need to find that center for uh, for our lives. The solution is found in Christ. The solution is found in the cross. And I think sometimes that even we, as Christians, struggle with this perception because we've been so indoctrinated with pop psychology. We have a psychological problem, but to suggest that I have a sin problem just does not seem to resonate with us when it ought to. Now, I'm not suggesting by any means here that every problem we have comes into our lives because we sinned. I know quite often we have problems because other people have sinned. We have problems because we live in a sinful world. But what we need to get back to, I think, is to try to look at what's going on in our lives and determine where we may have had some input into the problems that we, that, have, that we have created. Certainly if it's psychological in nature, social in nature, spiritual in nature, that's something that we need to do. <clears throat> when we come to know Christ and we come to understand the full significance of the cross, we'll be better equipped to deal with sin. And that's true whether I'm referring to our own culture or to our own personal lives. The second thing I want to think, us to think about this morning is this. Knowing Jesus and understanding the cross is central because of what this says about God's love. It's just we've gone to the other <coughs> excuse me, the other extreme, I think, to the other extent of what this means. Can anything, <coughs> can anything except love, account for God's motive in bringing His Son to this earth? Can anything except love account for the cross? It's usually hard for us to sacrifice anything for somebody we don't like. Or somebody we do like, I should say. It's hard for us sometimes to sacrifice something for people we like. It's impossible for us to sacrifice something for someone who opposes our values and our very being. But that's exactly what God did. God acted on our behalf. He gave freely. He gave willingly so that we might be rescued from sin and from its consequences. Both in this world and in eternity and he called it love. Genuine love, self-giving love, generous love, flawless love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I can think of no other motivation that it would have caused God to send his son to die for sinners. Nothing except love. When we speak of of love, of God's love, we speak of something more than than a feeling. So often we've, We kind of think of love as kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling. And I do think that if it's genuine, that ought to be there. But that's not the focus necessarily of the kind of love that God had. It's the kind of love here that God had that you can center your life on. And you see it in the life of Jesus and what he did in the self-giving way that he lived his life and died on the cross. Many years ago, the story that I read about was a minister of a small church out in the Midwest, and he formed a wedding for a young couple. Their dream was to continue operating the young man's family farm. Shortly after the birth of their third child, however, the wife developed an incurable disease. Everything the man owned slipped away through the medical expenses incurred from the long months she was in the hospital. Although she was fatally ill, she was home for the 10th anniversary of their wedding, and they invited the minister to share a simple anniversary meal. This is, uh, I'm going to have a hard time getting through this, just bear with me. There were no homemade rolls, no dessert, and the milk had been uh, chilled in the cold water of a nearby spring. But it was truly a feast, because love had set the table that day, and after the meal, They talked a while, and when the minister stood up to go, the man said, no, please stay a minute. Wait a minute, I I want you to see the anniversary present that I got for her. And he reached into the bottom drawer of a dresser and pulled out a box containing a string of pearls. Because their financial situation was so bad, the minister assumed, of course, that the pearls were were imitation. He told his wife, young man, the farmer told his wife, shut your eyes, and he slipped around behind her, and put the pearls around her neck. And when she opened her eyes and she lifted the pearls and she looked at them and she said, they're real, but they can't be mine. They, they just can't be. And her husband told her, before we were married, you said you thought pearls were the prettiest jewelry in the world, prettier than anything except your wedding ring. A long time before we were married, before we were married, I asked the Lord to help me put this string of pearls around your neck. You never knew about this box. I started dropping money into it, nickel by nickel, dime by nine. Nine, Dime by nine. Dime by nine. Get it? Dime. Thank you. (laughs) Messing up right in the the middle of a real good story here. He went on to say, I was fond of tobacco, but I gave up smoking, which was good for me to do anyhow, and and the money went into the box. I love drinking Coca-Cola, but for 13 years, ever since three years before we were married, I haven't spent a nickel on those. It all went into the box. And now the pearls are yours. And they're paid for. And she asked, well, what made you do it? He fell on his knees, put his face in her lap, and cried like a baby. And he said, I did it. Because I love you so much. Well... The minister left, and he later said, I often wondered how long that big man stayed on his knees weeping in the lap of that little woman who had less than a year to live, and saying, I did it because I love you so much. It's a very moving story. But to me, it, it, it really expresses what the cross is trying to say to us. What Jesus did at the cross. God did it. Christ did it. Because he loves you so much. He loves me so much. Can you picture the cross as God's way of reaching out to you with his heart and with his hand and and saying, I love you? I think that's the way the Bible describes it. I think that's exactly what is being said in John 3 and verse 16. God's way of helping us change the mess that has been brought into this world. You and I need to be transformed by the love of God. Jesus came to change a materialistic and secular world by changing us from within. Jesus came to change that part of, of us that Solzhenitsyn found, where Solzhenitsyn found the trouble had originated. Jesus came to change our hearts. And the beautiful part of of this is that as we change, the world, small world around us, also changes. Our families, our workplace, our church. If enough people change, the community changes and the ripple effect is set in motion. Our communities are affected, our states are affected, our nation is affected, and even the world. And isn't that what God meant Christianity to be? It's something that we've been studying on Sunday mornings in class that Ethan's been talking about. That God's mission on this earth from the time that uh, Adam and Eve sinned has been the concept of trying to bring us back to Him in that relationship that they enjoyed there in the Garden of Eden. And He worked through the Jewish people to try to bring a nation into the world, a people into the world, that would be an example of what it means to be His people. And then Christ died on the cross and the church was to be that kind of, the peop, Christian people now were to be that kind of people, the people that make a difference in our world. So often we throw away the jewels and keep the box. We do it when we embrace various pleasures at the expense of our bodies. We do it when we sacrifice marriages in order to satisfy lustful desires. We do it when we ignore our families in their pursuit of material gain or ease or comfort. We do it when we throw away our souls to a love affair with the world. Satan always makes sin look good at first. Whenever the, world, whenever the world gets hold of us so that Jesus no longer is the center of our hearts and our lives, they've thrown away the jewels and kept the box. The inspired Apostle Paul knew this, which was why he was determined to know Jesus and place the cross at the center of his life. And here's another thought, final conclu- as we conclude this. It's also possible to turn religion, our Christianity, into a box without the the jewels. It's so easy to focus on the trappings of, of religion, what we do in our worship services or whatever, and ignore that which is at the center. You can be constantly involved with Bible study, with prayer, with worship, with attendance, and so on. All of those are useful and important things, but we can be so focused on them that we miss what is central in the Christian life. Sometimes we do those kinds of things that I just mentioned out of a sense of duty rather than out of a sense of gratitude because of the love that God has shown to us. And that's when we miss it. That's when we are, we are throw, it's when we are throwing out the jewels and keeping the box. Also, Paul didn't make that mistake, and I pray that we won't either. The cross of Christ, the life of Christ is central and should guide our every thought and every action. Jesus died for every one of us, not for merely for those who agree with us on the issues. We desperately need to keep that in mind. You know, Christ died for those who pointedly disagreed with him. He died as much for Judas as he did for Peter and Paul and and James and all of the others. And he died for those who pointedly disagree with us just as much as he died for us. We're all sinners saved by grace. Keeping Jesus in the cross central will help us remain joined together in love even when we disagree. Even, let me suggest, even on points of doctrine. And by the way, I want to add as I conclude: this is the vision that your elders have for this church. And we're asking everyone to help make that possible. I threw that in for free, too. Uh, We the elders envision a church that is making a difference. Not only in our own lives as Christian people, but because we're making a difference in our lives as Christian people, we're making a difference in the community around us. That's the vision that we have. We're asking everyone to help us make that possible, whatever it takes. If you're here this morning and you've recognized that somehow Christ has not been central in your life, maybe you're struggling with a particular problem in your life and you need the prayers of the brothers and sisters in Christ who are here this morning, we're willing to pray for you. There's room down here at the front. If you haven't started yet that Christian walk with Jesus to make Him central in your life, the baptistry is ready. We're ready to take care of that too. If you're in any way subject to the Lord's invitation this morning, please come while we stand together and while we sing.